let's get started this morning. So again, do make sure when you're parking out front that to use all of the street, even in front of that new driveway. Uh, nobody, we're not using it as a driveway. And don't listen to Keith, okay? So um, that way we uh, make sure we're utilizing all of the street that we can. All right, Second uh, Corinthians chapter number 2. We're going to get back into the, the passage here. Uh, just for sake of context, let's read verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor, the, uh, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And, and again, we, we looked last time at verse 3 and 4, and, and really verse 3, uh, Paul, when Paul says there, uh, I came, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Uh, again, Paul is, he's not immune to the opposition when things come up. He's as human as you and I are. And you and I don't like criticism, and even when it's constructive. And yet the, the Corinthians were, uh, they were on a mission to not allow Paul to be their apostle. And yet, and the reason is because they went after human, they're, they're valuing human wisdom. So the answer to verse 3 is verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. And here's the answer. But in demonstration of spirit and of power. Paul is describing the impact here on, uh, on, uh, on, as he's ministering among the Corinthians for a year and a half. He, he's acknowledging the impact, weakness, fear, and trembling. But he says, I didn't stop, I didn't quit, and the reason I didn't quit was because I have an inner man capacity here that doesn't allow that to happen, doesn't allow the weakness, the fear, and the trembling to succeed and to win. And, and again, courage is not the absence of fear and trembling. Courage is doing what's right in spite of the weakness, fear, and trembling. And that's exactly what Paul uh, is doing. If you come over to 2 Timothy, we didn't look at chapter 1. We didn't look at this issue, last this verse last time. I just want to catch it, and then we're going to move on into verse number 5. Uh, I told uh, Ricky, he asked me what verses. I said 5 to 7, hopefully. So we'll see how far we go, you know. And I know we won't get in all of verse 6, so we'll see how we do here. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the Gospels according to the power of God. You and I have that inner man's strength that comes from the demonstration of the Holy Spirit, the demonstration of the power of the Word working in your inner man, so that, you know what, we would not be ashamed of our Lord Jesus Christ, nor be ashamed of the, the Apostle Paul and the testimony and the ministry, and that we would be able to come over here and do what needs to be done regardless of the, the afflictions, the weakness, the fear, and the trembling. Now, the end of verse number 8, according to, the, the, the measure is the power of God. So when we come back to chapter 2 now of 1 Corinthians, okay, and we begin to, uh, we begin to look at this issue here of the power of God, the answer to the opposition is that inner man strength, that inner man power that's going to strengthen the believer, and that comes from the working of the Holy Spirit through the Word in the inner man. 1 Thessalonians 2, he, verse 13, he says, The Word work effectually in you that believe. I'm thinking of Romans. <laughs> Yeah, you get a verse, and then now i got to go find it because now I'm thinking about it. 
Uh, Romans 15, verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. So there's the issue of the power, the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in chapter 2, verse 5, Paul now is going... So in verse 4, here's my, Paul, here's my mindset. I, I, my deliberate mindset, verse 2, for I determined not. I didn't come down to you guys in power of oratory, mastery of the oratory, mastery of any of that. I, I came in not with enticing words, not with fancy speech. I came with a simple speech, simplicity, simple language. Christ died for your sins. For all have come short, all are sinners, no different. It's simple language. And then in verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, that's the goal. That's the result. The result, the answer to the whole of the chapter, really, is, is, is verse 5. See, verse 10, we got this demonstration, of, I'm sorry, verse 4, the demonstration of the power, a demonstration of the Spirit and the power of, and then in verse 5, we've got the power of God. And what Paul's going to do now is he's going to he's going to take us he's going to bring in another type of power. We've got the power issue in verse 4 the spirit and the word working. Now he's going to bring in the power of God. And again, verse 5 is the key to the whole chapter why Paul deliberately chose to do ministry to the Corinthians this way. Simple language, not in the wisdom of the world, not in the wisdom of man, not in enticing words, but the simplicity because the issue is resting not on you and who you're thinking, but in the power of God. And he's going to bring down into the thinking there another level of power, something else here. Now, real quick, I went looking at the Corinthians at the time in, in Greece and everything, because I wanted to understand when he says here in verse 5 that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, the enticing words. In Greek culture and really out there, there there's a, there's, they, they, they are called a sophist, S-O-P-H-I-S-T. And a sophist was a teacher in ancient Greece in the 5th and 4th centuries that specialized in one or more subject areas such as philosophy, rhetoric, music, athletics, math. They taught virtue or excellence predominantly to young statesmen and nobility. These guys could take a lie and make it true. And what they're doing is, is they are a sophist is an individual skilled in conveying, convincing people into believing things that were not true. They have the ability to take information that's based in lies and, and, and inaccuracies and make it seem to be true. And that's what the Corinthians were following. Sophists did, however, have one important thing in common. Whatever else they did or did not claim to know, they characteristically had a great understanding of what words would entertain or impress or persuade an audience. Many sophists taught their skills for a price. Due to the importance of such skills in the Latinicus uh, social life of Athens, practitioners often commanded very high fees. So if you quit paying their price, what are they going to do? They're going to leave. And that's what, Paul, that's what we were trying to get at last time. Paul says, you spend me, I'm gladly be spent. I, don't, I care about you. When you decide you're done with me, I still didn't leave you. I'm still here. I didn't leave you. I loved you. Though the less I be loved, the more I love you. What are these guys doing? They're allowing, they've brought in, by the way, Socrates, Plato, Gorgias, Lycophum. Fron, Protagonus, he's the big guy. Today, in modern-day vernacular, the sophists are the lawyers. 
and some would even say the news media. <laughs> okay? And that's what they, what do they do? That's what the Corinthians were falling for. That's why in 2, four, two, two I determined not to. I determined to come, verse 4, my speech and my preaching was not in with, the, I've come with simple language. Why? Verse 5, because the power, your spiritual life should never rest in the wisdom of men. It needs to be resting. Your faith is not to stand in man's wisdom, but in God's wisdom. Because man's wisdom is fleeting. For the, think about this. If I sold you a bill, if, I heard a guy one time sell, he, say he could sell ice cubes to Eskimo. If I could do that, and then somebody else come along and sell the Eskimo the heater, what would that do with the Eskimo? Melt everything. But then what are you, you're, you're subject to who, the persuasion in front of you rather than the truth always being there. And that's what Paul's doing here. The danger in, in measuring truth based upon the abilities of an individual, the danger is, is that you can, fall, you can be susceptible to somebody else coming along that's uh, just a little better, just a little better. And that oration issue, if you look over in chapter 3, verse 21, Therefore let no man glory, where? In men, for all things are yours. So evidently the Corinthians are doing what? They're glorying in men. They're sitting there going, man, we had, boy, we had a wonderful speaker today. And it was somebody over here and he got a paycheck and he did this and he convinced them that Paul wasn't their apostle because look at he hasn't written anything yet other than a, one or two books and by the way those two books you can't even understand because what in the world is he talking about and you know all this stuff and you know you know God's with you because you guys got the spiritual gifts and look at what you're doing and blah 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 and you know just taking the moment and doing what spinning it up and the Corinthians come over to chapter 4 and the Corinthians are buying it. Verse 6, 4, 6. Again, Paul develops this out. Paul is aggressively rebuking the Corinthians. I'm trying to tone it down, okay? <laughs> I tried a couple months ago to do that, and I got yelled at by some folks. Hey, you shouldn't be, are you upset? Why are you being so angry with that? And I'm like, I'm not. I'm trying to get you to understand the seriousness of this. Chapter 4, verse 6. And these things, brethren, I have a... I have in, in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sake, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. Notice, he's a great, you, what are you guys, what, is they, what are they doing? They're thinking up more highly of men than what's written. What's written about man? You're a sinner. You're selfish. You're full of pride. You're full of ego, ego. You're full of it. And, and, and you're falling for it, Corinth. You're falling for all of the deception. Ultimate truth is gained from the revelation of the system of truth revealed in Scripture. That's how you get the, And Paul's reminding them. They, the Corinthians had had a false measure. They're trying to achieve spiritual understanding and spiritual enlightenment by listening to the latest and greatest. That's why every time I hear grace believers say, oh, we just want something new. No, you don't. You don't want something new. Because the new, every time you think you got something new, you know what happens? It ends up being trouble. It's, it's amazing. The answer, verse 4, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 6 there, never think above that which is written. <laughs> you know, the answer, go back to chapter 2, again, is that your faith stands in the power of God. Now, what Paul's going to do, we we'll do the rest of this morning probably here, is this issue of the power of God. Now, we know chapter 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. 
we know that the power of God is what? The preaching of the cross. But Paul is now going to go deeper than that. He's going to bring in a different, he's going to take the power of God issue into a different direction. He's expanding the understanding about the power of God and the preaching of the cross and the connection. The achievements of Calvary, all that is accomplished as it affects our eternity, all of eternity, actually, all that centers around Calvary, everything that God is doing sits in the wisdom of God, but it sits in what? The preaching of the cross is the, the power of God. We want, you want to see the power of God? Just look at the cross. Why? He resurrected him. He died. He did all that. You want to see the love of God? Go look at the cross. That's where he put it on display. But the issue here, as Paul begins to expand this now, again, we understand 118. What's the preaching of the cross is the power of God. But now he, we're going to, he's going to expand it. Come back to chapter 2 and look at verse 6 and watch him do it. Verse 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. The power of God issue now is, yes, it's, it's rooted in Calvary, centered in Calvary, but now he's going to move us beyond that simple work of Calvary, and he's going to, on behalf of the sinner, unto eternal life, and he's going to bring us now into something that he's going to accomplish out here that verse 8 now impacts which none of the princes of this world knew. By the way, the princes of this world, who's that? Satan, the adversary, the satanic policy of evil. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, the power of God isn't going to be now limited only to soul salvation and justification. It now has to do with some hidden wisdom and the fact that the consequence and the result of the work of Calvary was so cataclysmic in that if the adversary, if the princes of the world had known about some hidden, win, hidden wisdom about Calvary, what would they not have done? Crucified the Lord of glory. So the power of God, yes, it's sitting in Calvary, and yes, we see it there, but Paul says, but there's also another, another, another area over here where the power of God is on display because if Calvary... If this hidden wisdom information had been known over here, Christ would have never, they would have never crucified him, and that would have altered human history. See, the power of God is more than just preaching Christ crucified. It's now going to, he's going to link it into this issue of, hey, there was some hidden, the power of God component that was hidden, that if anybody had known about, Calvary, the meaning of it, what was this hidden wisdom, the adversary, Satan would have never entered Judas. He would have never did what he did. And that would have what? Catastrophically altered human history. So the power of God here, so yes, we got the power, the demonstration of the Spirit and the power thereof and the working of the Word in you, but now we've got this hidden wisdom component to the power. And what Paul is going to do here is he's developing the power of God beyond the cross. But with the Corinthians, you know what he's going to say? I want to tell you about this, but I can't because you're chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk. That's Calvary, because that's all I could know was Christ crucified. And not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it. By the way, the meat is going to be the, revel the, the information about the hidden wisdom of God and some things we're going to look at here. Verse 3, for ye are yet carnal. I can't. Chapter 2, verse 6, howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are, what? Perfect, mature faithful, 
we'll see that probably have to see that next time, okay? <laughs> we'll see as we get there. Faithful. He goes, you're not faithful. I can't, I will not violate the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. We'll see that as we get down in the passage here. And because I'm not going to violate the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, I am not going to bring you up to speed and what's the next step. Because you're over here valuing human wisdom. You're over here opposing me as your apostle and this teacher. You're over here opposing the work of the Holy Spirit in your lives. And, all, and I'm just not going to do that. And that is a sad commentary on saints of the Most High God. And it's just heartbreaking. So the power of God here, verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, that's going to draw us back to Romans 16. Come back to Romans 16. Because there's some things in here, and this is why I told Ricky the verses are going to be like 5 to 7, because we're, and we're going to go through each verse, but there's some things here as we get started that you've got to catch, and they're critical to notice, and they're critical to pay attention to, because when that happens and when we do that, there's something bigger going on here that what Paul is alluring to that only the faithful will understand. The carnality, the babes in Christ don't get it. They go, oh, yeah, okay, whatever, and move on. Or they go chase the latest rabbit or squirrel or whatever instead of staying the course. Notice back here now to Romans 16, verse 25. 16:25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. Now notice that. So 16.25, he's ending Romans, making a link into 1 Corinthians, and we saw that. And we'll see a contrast or a connection here in just a minute. But then we also understand that he's, as he's doing that, he's expressing some things that the Corinthians aren't quite on board with yet because they don't have the maturity level. He's a, now to him that is of power, be Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. Now, bend your paper over, page over, and look at 1 Corinthians 2, and look at verse 5. So the end of the verse, but in the power of God. Now watch verse 6. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Now watch, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained, where? When? Before the foundation, uh, before the world, unto our glory. Now, notice that carefully. In 1625... Paul talks about power to establish you and the mystery and the revelation of the mystery. That, but it was what? Kept secret since the world began. In 2.7, talking about this hidden wisdom and the mystery, and he says there it's been what? Kept, it's been hidden since when? Before. Now, before and since are different, aren't they? Last time I looked, they were. So there's some things going on here. And again, don't miss what's happening here. As we end Romans and we're moving into Corinthians, Paul is beginning to expand this issue of the power of God under the wisdom of God, that ultimate purpose in reordering, reorganizing, uh, reconciling the structure of the universe. And as he does that through a system of truth of hidden wisdom that's now being uh, revealed, made known, no longer hidden. The mystery of his will has been made known. And as he does that through here, there's beginning to be a connection here between the end of Romans and, and Corinthians, but then also where the Romans are 
and where the Corinthians are not saved. By the way, look at Romans 16, verse 20. 1620, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. First time in Paul's epistle do we see the mention of Satan. Well, what does 2.6 say? 1 Corinthians 2.6. Nor the princes of this world. 2.7. I'm sorry, 2.8. For, had, for which none of the princes of this world. Who's that? Satan and his adversarial forces. See, there's a connection there. there there's a, uh, look at 1627. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. The end of 2.8 would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see what's happening? There's a connection here. By the way, we just read chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, and they're what? Carnals and babes? Come over to chapter 6 of Romans. Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. And look, if you will, at verse 17. Romans 6, 17. But God be thanked that, that ye were the servants of sins, but ye have what? Obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Isn't that interesting? You've what? You're faithful. The Romans were faithful. They obeyed. They believed from the heart. But what did they believe? They didn't believe anything come down. They believed the very form of the doctrine given to them from Paul. Those form of sound words, that pattern, that structure, that edification process that God established. So when you come back here to, to 1 Corinthians 2 and Romans 16, there, there's this connection, and now Paul's going to bring it into, he's expanding it now in 1 Corinthians 2. Think about 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 7, just as we do. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Now, real quick, Calvary was not the mystery. The cross work of Christ was not the mystery, was not a mystery. It had been prophesied since Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, with Adam and Eve in the garden and the seed issue. By the way, you, you and I are going to bruise Satan's heel. That's part, of un, that's part of the mystery, hidden wisdom given to God. But that reaches back to where? Genesis chapter 3. Okay? By the way, you and I bruise Satan under your, our heel today in the moment. That's what Romans 16 is talking about. Not a future event. Right now, when you and I obey from the heart the form of doctrine that we're learning. In other words, we learn who we are in Christ and we go live that way. When we go live as who we are in Christ in our sanctification, in our walk, what are we doing to, to Satan? We're bruising him because we're not allowing him to run our life. We're not allowing the course of the world to run our life. What's running our life? The word of God, rightly divided. Okay? All right, I'll make sure I say that because when we went through that passage in Romans 16, you guys had a bunch of glassy-looked eyes like, oh, what's he talking about now, you know? <laughs> Because you got because I know what people do. They run, they take it, and they run right out to the rapture and everything, and they run out to the new. And yeah, he will do that out there. But Paul in Romans 16 is talking about right now. He ain't talking about the future. Nothing in Romans 16, other than about our about the glory to come, is future. It's right now. And by the way, you and I can live as who we are in Christ, seated in heavenly places right now. Because in God's mind, it's already done. He calls those things that are not as though they are, Romans 4. It's a done deal. And you can live that way. And you can live with that, expect that type of thinking. Now, notice chapter 2, verse 7. 1625 said what? Since the world began. But 2.7 goes back and says, ordained before the world. Calvary wasn't 
the mystery, the event that's been talked about all through the prophets, okay? But the meaning of it was never revealed. Come over with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. Actually, 1 Peter 1, I'm sorry. 1 Peter 1. You have to, you got to catch this because of what Paul is doing to, for us. He's digging you, digging you a deeper ditch, if you will. Digging it, little power of God, preaching of the cross, that's there, but there's something deeper. Just real quick, look at 1 Peter 1, verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Here's, so here's Peter uh, talking to uh, the, the nation of Israel, uh, and then he'll get into the issue specifically of the little flock. Verse 10, of which salvations the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Now, that's going to be the grace of the new covenant. This isn't the dispensation of grace, because no, none of the prophets knew that. The Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry didn't know it. This is new covenant ground. Now watch verse 11. So verse 10, of which salvation, so the salvation of your souls. By the way, what was the salvation of their souls? The kingdom. When the Messiah comes and sets up the kingdom. But keep reading now. Searching. So the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, verse 10. All right. You see that, verse 10? The prophet of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. Now look at look at how they searched, and look at what happened when they searched in verse eleven. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. All right, what's that? Calvary, the cross and the glory that should follow. What's that? The kingdom. That's Psalms 22, folks. When David writes Psalms 22, what did, you know what they did? They began to ask questions. What in the world is that all about? And when is that going to happen? See, the what, what is it? What does it mean? Now, next verse, 12. Unto whom it was revealed... That not unto themselves. So the Holy Spirit tells them it's not unto themselves, but unto us that they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, such which things the angels desired to look into. Even the angels were looking into this. And what what First Peter one tells you is that when David writes Psalms twenty two and Psalm sixty nine and Isaiah writes Isaiah fifty three. By the way, fifty fifty one fifty two and fifty three lead up to fifty three. When they write all of those passages about Calvary, when when Abraham goes up in Genesis twenty two and Moses writes about Genesis twenty two, Moses is not has no clue that that's a picture. Of Calvary. He just did what? Just wrote it down. When he said, when he would ask, when Moses would ask, and evidently 1 Peter says they ask, what does this mean? You know what the Holy Spirit said? Just write it down. It's not for you to know. So then the events of Calvary are what? Well known. What about them do they not know what it means? Who tells us what it means? The Apostle Paul. You follow that? Okay. Now go back to 1 Corinthians 2. And I do that because of what 2.7 says and what it's not saying. 2.7, which the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. He is not saying that Calvary was a hidden wisdom, hidden mystery, and nobody knew about it. Nobody. When the Lord tells the, the, the apostles and the disciples, i got to go to Jerusalem and die, the first time that he says it to them, they don't understand a word he says. The second time, they begin to argue with him. And the third time, Peter puts his foot down. No, ain't going to happen. And you know, that, you know what happened. 
Then in Luke 24, after the resurrection, he says, I told you everything that the law and the Psalms and the prophets said, I have fulfilled. So they still didn't get it until he did what? Opened their understanding and then they got it. Da-da, you know. On the day of the resurrection, the ladies are there and the disciples are there and they still don't believe that he's resurrected. If they did, they would have never said, they would have never went to the grave. They'd have went to the upper room and waited for him. They would have went into Galilee and waited for Why? Because he told him, he told them, I'll see you in Galilee. They, but they didn't. Where did they go? They went to the to the cemetery, and they're worried about how we're going to roll away this. See, all of that is prophesied and talked about. The only thing that wasn't was what it all meant. And the prophets, as they rose, 1 Peter 1, they're asking the questions, what does this mean, and when is this going to happen? And the the Holy Spirit says, don't worry about it. You just write it. Because when Isaiah wrote it, when Isaiah writes... Isaiah 53, Usher's date on Isaiah 53 is 712 B.C., before Christ. I know what they do now, before common error. And, you know, after, now it's not even B.C., uh, it's, it's, a, it's not even A.D. anymore, it's BCE or CE or something, you know, they just can't let things be. So 712 years before the Lord showed up, Isaiah's writing Isaiah 53. What do you think he's asking? When's this going to happen? And what does this mean? A lamb led to the slaughter, dumb. The transgressions of the people. I mean, he understood that part because he's been yelling at them about that. Anyway, go back to 1 Corinthians 2. i got to get back in here or we'll never get done. Verse 7, which God ordained before the world began. Do you see how Paul takes us back before Genesis 1-1 here? Romans 16-25, since the world began, that's Genesis 1-1. Paul takes us back to where? Before creation. Understanding right division, folks, doesn't just help you understand different things. It helps you understand the time markers of all of eternity. We're talking about eternity past here. And what did Paul say? Paul drug you and I in 2023 back to before he said, let there be. Before he created anything. And you, now we have a time marker we have a before. The, it's a right division, understanding Paul and the hidden wisdom. He lays out eternity for us. He supplies time markers. We see them all through Scripture. And we have the ability, right division, really, it gives us the ability to skillfully recognize the different points in time and where God is dealing with creation. And the only one who placed specific significance to what God was doing before Genesis 1-1 is the Apostle Paul and the information given to Paul. Moses takes Israel back to Abraham. Matthew 1-1, in the beginning, this is the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You know where Paul drags you and I back to Adam, Genesis 3. You know where else he takes us? Back before that. You see, Paul, the the message giving to us takes us back into eternity. Now, look at 7. Just ordained before the world unto our glory. Now, think about this. What is God doing Before he created anything, what is he doing? He's developing a plan that is for who? Our glory. Whose glory is he interested in? Not his own. And who? And ours. See, that's just fantastic. And Paul draws that out. 
God had already, in Genesis 1-1, when he said, in the beginning God created the heaven, and boom. And what happens in verse 2, by the way? The earth is without form. The earth, the earth, the earth, all the way down to Acts 9. And in Romans 16, Paul says, you know what? He was keeping some stuff secret since the world began. And also, by the way, the power of God, not only was that the power of God, but the power of God also was before the world began, he kept some stuff hidden. So before Lucifer was ever came off the drawing board to be created, God had already set the plan. He had set the entire purpose of the church, the body of Christ, the agency, the vehicle that he's going to use to accomplish the ultimate glory plan. Not the individuals, because the individuals have a choice, free will, unto all and upon all them that believe. The revelation of the mystery set all that into motion. Now, Romans 16.25 kept secret. So since Genesis 1.1, he's done what? He's kept something secret. But it's in regards to not Jesus Christ being crucified, but rather what the cross work means. Okay? So before... Genesis 1.1, he says, I have a plan, and we're going to call it Church the Body of Christ. That's the agency. We're going to call it the dog, the dispensation of grace. We're going to get this guy over here, and we're going to get this guy, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do it. And he set the whole thing up, and it's going to be my grace. And he says, okay, we'll put that in the pocket. Genesis 1.1, he creates. We have a usurper now. We're going to have a promise of a seed line. And the Lord says, that's okay. I have a part of that ultimate plan kept secret, and it's what the cross is going to mean. And in Genesis 3.15, when he begins to talk about the, the conflict between the adversary and the son, now we're going to have Calvary. That velvet thread runs all through there now. And verse 8, 2 8, why this is such power is because of 2 8. Because if the adversary had known the meanings of Calvary, the ultimate goal to take humanity, lost and dying sinners, justify them, give them eternal life, give them God's righteousness, and then set them into the positions whether it's in Israel, in the earth, or whether it's in heavenly places with, the Gentile, with you and I. And I'm going to use redeemed man to accomplish. If he had known all that, you know what? He'd have, never, he'd have never did what he did. He'd have never done the dirty work. He'd have just walked away. That's the... I, that's the that's 2-5. Your faith isn't resting in over here in something some man concocted and took a lie and dressed it into truth. Your faith is standing in the power of God, the one that kept a secret way back before everything began, and it's to your glory and our glory, and you Corinthians are not able to handle that information. I wish you were, but you're not. So I can't give it to you. And it breaks my heart to not be able to give it to you. Because you guys are sitting over here focused in on the wisdom of man and the words of men who all they're doing is getting a paycheck out of you because the first time you say no, they're just going to bop you on the head and go to the next one, the next gig. And Paul says, before God created, man, he had designed an entire purpose plan that was going to impact all of eternity. It's centered around the cross. He just kept it secret, what it meant. And you guys blew it, or blowing it, <laughs> because you're not 
operating the way, you're not operating into the, that methodology that God operates in, which is simple words, specific words in a book that reveal the simple plan. So the connection here, again, Satan, Romans 16, 20, the adversary, 2, 6, and 8, the thing about the glory, our glory, the power, the power, the cross, the cross, all of that is connected here. So Paul takes and he begins to take the power of God, that it's God's ultimate wisdom, And putting together the plan that he kept secret, that is, the, that is the very undoing, the very cause of the fall of Satan via the church, the body of Christ, specifically you and I. And again, we need to appreciate what Paul's doing here. I can't give you the details, guys. Now, we, by the way, we find the details where? In the book of Ephesians. Remember how we, I showed you at the end of Romans 16 there, 27, the Lord of glory and the glory, and how that connects you into the book of Ephesians. Not everybody needs Corinthians in the moment or Galatians. Rather, what do they, they're faithful, they, they can move to the next level. Now, we need Roman, we need Corinthians and Galatians because sometimes we get off track and we got to get back on track. Paul says, I can't give you those details. I'm not, you're not able to handle them. You're not, you're not validating the truth appropriately, correctly. Well, that, it's because they're listening to human wisdom, human viewpoint. They're relying on things that are here today, gone tomorrow. And again, Romans 6, where were the Romans? Faithful. They're in that form of sound. They're right there. They're right where they need to be. So when you come back now to 2.5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's the goal of the whole of the chapter. It's accomplished by you what? Not listening to the wisdom of men, not being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but it's accomplished by coming over here and acknowledging and recognizing what God's doing. And who God is using as the main orator, the Apostle Paul. Recognizing the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. How does he teach? Verse 13, comparing spiritual with spiritual. He uses words, simple words, and, and rely there. If you fall for human wisdom, you fall right into the hands of the adversary. That's what Paul's getting at here. That's the warning. Even for you and I today, that's our warning. Because we can, it can happen. And by the way, when that happens, what, what comes up? Trouble. Damage is done. If you come over to, uh, well, I think you get the point. Verse 6. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Now, the perfect, if you look down at verse 15, is defined for us. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of none. You see that thing about being spiritual? That's perfect. Not spiritual and they go to church every three days and they do this and they do that and, you know, they... Look good. By the way, amazing grace all over your tie so everybody knows you're good. You know, you're in the clique, okay? You know, not, not spir spiritual how? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That, why? The man of God may be perfect. What does that mean? There's a comma after the end of the word perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. What are the good works? See, that's what every, well, the good works come back over here and say, where, where you walk, where you live, you live not I, but Christ. That's what works are. If you're married, your marriage looks this way. You operate this way. If you work a job, you work this way. If you got family, you work this way. You got all of these. Paul's not out here winning the world, see, to Jesus. Right now, with all the stuff going on in Israel, 
the Jews for Jesus guys are just hammering my email right now. Okay? You know what they're looking for, don't you? Money. Oh, oh, and prayer. Money and prayer. I'm like, dude, really? I'm unsubscribe, 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 unsubscribe. You know, and I, I read it. I give it, a, I give it a hearing, the first couple. But anyway, we're, we're the, that's not what Christ, he's talking about you right where you're at, where you live, as you impact those around you, see. Because your realm of influence, the greatest thing that I caught, one of the greatest things that I caught out of hiking the Grand Canyon is how insignificant I am. I'm in the bottom looking at the Colorado River, and I'm looking up, and Jordan goes, we got to go right up there. I go, don't do that to me. Because way up there is way up there. 5,000-something feet of elevation, James. Like, whoa. But it dawned on me, you know, we're sitting there, starry skies out, how insignificant I really am. I think I, I thought of that verse in Isaiah, we're nothing but grasshoppers. And, and it's like, wow. But you know what happens, though? What do we begin to think? We're somebody. And God says, no, you're mine. You're valuable to me, but right where you're at. See. So the perfect is the spiritual, is the maturity issue. Now we'll have to pick up in the rest of it because we got five minutes to being done, and I don't want to jump into six because that'll be another twenty, okay? Or an hour or whatever. Yesterday was two hours in the men's fellowship, so. All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, and above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in your son for the all spiritual blessings, for the completeness, and with gratitude of heart and of understanding, say thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen. All right.